welcome to Is That Hate In Your Eyes or Are You Just Pleased To See Me? Our discussion of the enemies to lovers trope in fanfic. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Jean. And this is Trope As Fuck. So, what are we talking about? I'm gonna go ahead and say that enemies to lovers isn't so much a trope as kind of... Oh, it is a trope, but I guess it's it's not a trope like fake dating as much as it is a kind of mood. So like the subjunctive in a language, you know, it's Crowley and Aziraphale from Good Omens and we're speaking about them in the enemies to lovers mood. I think you may need to expand on that one a little bit for the benefit <laughs> of both myself and our delightful listeners. And actually anyone who knows anything about subjunctives who's going to be listening to this and being like, Jane, you're talking out your butthole. Um, I think what I mean is that unlike the soulmate or roommate or fake dating trope, this one is a bit larger. So on the one hand, it's something that can be quite intrinsic to certain ships. I've mentioned Crowley and Aziraphale, but also Raylo. You know, the, the the nature of those ships within any kind of canon verse involves that. So that it can be a lens through which a ship is viewed rather than a way to transplant the story. Yeah, I think that's roughly true. I mean, certainly there are ships that need more of a transformation or alternate universing to get them to that enemies to lovers place. And some definitely already start there. And Raylo, as you say, is definitely the latter. Mm. Yeah, so, f- you know, for damn sure. And I think there are lots of potential glorious little permutations and combinations. So I am a little magpie for snark, right? I seek it here. I seek it there. My God, I seek it everywhere. <laughs> so, you know, fake dating, but they also hate each other at the beginning. Or do they? Like sharing a bed, but they hate each other. Or do they? Like that. That's, I guess, what I mean. Yeah, and it does work very well in combination with other tropes. It's kind of like mm-hmm. one of those more broad foundations and then you can have these other tropes playing into it in really interesting ways and I think that's what I mean like my (laughs) in truth my subjunctive comparison is garbage but that is what I mean but I considered a lot of my fix and my ships for examination this week and I just couldn't settle on one I've got a couple of pairings that really lend themselves to this genre aka snarky folks discover feelings and possibly brackets emotional bonus um I chose not to go with Crowley and Aziraphale which I think was an avenue I was thinking down despite my deep deep love for them because I think my favorite thing about enemies to lovers is the sort of sharpness and sniping at the beginning and Oh, by the time any humans come across Crowley and Aziraphale, you know, it's 6,000 years down the line and and their sniping's largely theological and that hits different. (laughs) No, I agree. I think we both really struggled to nail down a fic for this one, despite it being something we've read quite a Mm. lot of. There are lots of fics that we really love in the space, but yeah, it did feel difficult to kind of hone in on one and I mean as someone who reads basically almost exclusively radio fix <laughs> my whole canon in a way is an enemies to lovers ship um and we, like in part I think that's why we went for the slightly rogue move this week of picking one story that means a huge amount to both of us and is a really great example of the best things about an enemies to lovers story yeah I would say as well I think just before we introduce the fic that we planned this episode while I was away so we had so much time to read fic and could not make that settlement, actually. So like then when you came to me and said, hi, I've got a thought. What if we did this? I was super up for it. Also because we've, we've wanted to talk about this fic pretty much since we came up with the idea of having a podcast about fan fiction. 
I'm very excited. So, <laughs> I'm so excited. Our fic this week is called Landscape with a Blur of Conquerors by one of the greatest fanfic writers I've ever witnessed, the iconic Diasterisms. Now, this fic is super important to us. I mean, this is really the story that brought our shared love of fanfiction out into yeah. the open. I think if, if you had not... If you had not wrecked me this and I had not read it we would have taken, at least we'd have taken longer to get to a point where we were talking to each other about what we loved about fan fiction. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't change, I wouldn't delay any of those conversations for the world. So I'm enormously grateful to the Asterisms for bringing this fic into the world. And, you know, I'm not sure how clear I've made this before. I Obviously, we read for each other. So, you know, we read stuff that's not our pairing, not our bag, whatever. But I'm not really a Raylo shipper. Like, I'm fine with it, but it's not where I'm going when I'm inside the Star Wars universe. And we'll get to talk about that a bit more next week when we talk about fake dating. But, like, ah, oh, this fic just feels a little bit like it transcends shipping. <laughs> I genuinely feel like it transcends... <sighs> just so much of like fiction that I've seen within this world it plays in this world in such a rich way that it's it's although it's a Raylo story predominantly it's doing so many interesting things in so many different places it's doing so much it's genius it's great and yeah I mean I <laughs> I remember when you shared it with me you were like you have to read this and it was just one of those ones I mean we've all been there right we're like it's 10 p.m it's a Wednesday, it'll be fine. And then it's 3am <laughs> and you're still reading it and it's a work in progress and you're 45 chapters in and you're like, oh God, I think, why am I like this? Um, but yeah, that is that is absolutely what happened. I devoured this fic once I started reading it. I think I sort of emerged the next morning and I was like... <laughs> Rebecca! It's changed my life. Ah! Um, so, the story in a nutshell is, so it's set just after The Force Awakens, and it spans quite a few years, but Rey essentially finds out that her parents were members of the royal family of Happers. Um, their government is a constitutional monarchy called the Happers Consortium, where female leaders rule, and that makes Rey next in line to the throne. Um, and she needs a marriage to settle a conflict with the First Order, who obviously happens to be the leader of the First Order. Schmeierschmann. <laughs> there are a lot of names that we will be discussing that the pronunciation of which will be... Questionable. Before we get into the kind of yeah. in-depth discussion about, you know, the fic itself and, and what it's doing, particularly in the enemies to lovers kind of space. I just wanted to really touch on, I think, what makes Diasterism's writing, and in particular this fic, so genius. And like, if you haven't read it before, like, we couldn't recommend strongly that you go and read yeah. it because the way the world building happens in this fic is insane. Like, the there is an yeah. incredible amount yeah. of detail. The way that the Star Wars universe is brought to life in it is genuinely incredible. Do you know, and I... So, yeah, so, so much so that when your beloved was playing Jedi Fallen Order on PS4 recently and spent loads of time on Dathomir, I was super smug because I was like, I know about the Night Sisters of Dathomir, don't at me. And I only knew about those things because 
I had read this fanfic. I was like, I have knowledge. I know about the Hapes Consortium. Go back to your seat. Like, so just like so confident in my Star Wars knowledge. And I am a, again, we'll talk about this more, I imagine, next week, but I am a bit of a Star Wars novice when compared to Rebecca. So in so many ways, like, the research that went into this fic has really, like, sunk into my consciousness. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you fall into, like, a Wikipedia hole where you're, you're searching and you're going through link after link after link where you're, like, there's this huge richness that she's building into this world which is genuinely amazing that's the incredible thing right it's like it's a story that's largely set in in the hapes cluster Mm -hmm. which is a pretty niche system in the inner rim yeah and there are so many references to cultures and iconography um things in the widest star wars universe from food to creatures and legends and it's a really rich text and one of the most incredible examples i think of how a fanfic can really bring to life a universe as its playground and mm-hmm. do something really incredible. And it is a novel in length. I mean, and the way it's, it, it does that kind of research just adds, it really is additive. Yes. Know, I think the best way that fan fiction can Absolutely. be. And I think perhaps a little surprisingly, maybe, that's both evident and enjoyable, even if you are a Star Wars novice. Like, as I've said, I know fuck all really about the Star Wars extended universe. And, I still loved that. I loved having that richness behind it. I loved kind of clicking on the links and finding things out or choosing not to. And because I did at times, I was like, the story is too good. I, I'm sorry, I would would love to read about, you know, this particular kind of embroidery. But I have to move on because the snark is killing me. Yeah, the discovery is fun. Yeah, and I think, I think that was really... I think that's a, a mark of a kind of one one vision of what really mm. exceptional world building and exceptional writing looks like is I knew the author knew so much more about their world than me but I felt the weight of that knowledge in every detail they gave me um one of the things we wanted to talk about is <laughs> what I've called the hunting of the snark which is this, one of the things I, I love so much about Enemies to Lovers is this initial phase when there's just a lot of bitch fits. <laughs> Everyone is pissed at each other and it's kind of sort of grumbling one-upmanship and like at the best sort of grudging acceptance, mm. right? So exhibit A. So they're discussing how something was his fault and he says by all means please expound he said icily i wait on tenterhooks for a breakdown of the mental gymnastics that led you to believe that any of this is my fault what a line so good (laughs) the dialogue is so on point in this book (sighs) yeah absolutely and i mean yeah like take take again the following exchange this kind of icy bitchiness that is just and I say bitchiness really without any sense of that being a gendered term. I just mean this kind of like really snarky, sharp, fast dialogue that's that's hard to write. Like it's hard to be, to really embody that kind of cuttingness. So, you know, the following exchange. I hate you, she said bitterly. He sneered at her. See, already you're acclimatising so well to married life. I mean... It's so good! It's so good! Yeah, no, you're totally right. It's quick and it's cutting and it's so also perfectly in their tone of voice. It never feels like it's not authentic. 
Um, and I think beyond that kind of the, the the snuff and what that does as well, there are also these incredible physical scenes too that bring that kind of tension to life, where Ray and Ben are kind of fighting each other so passionately that they often end up in these really heated arguments where they inevitably end up an inch from each other's faces. You know, and at one point, one of the guards um, is like, "It would seem that this is a habit for the two of you." <laughs> and I'm just gone. Like the yeah. combination of of that kind of scene with with this incredible snark is is amazing. Yeah, I, I, you're so right. I mean, as I've said, the dialogue is just razor sharp, and it's an example of really well done shift. I think too between external and internal voices. Yeah. So we kind of often hear Ben replaying Ray's words and his internal perspective as well as his external dialogue is handled so skillfully that her words do feel different within the context that he is thinking about them. And that is such a great, a great way to prolong and create that, that exceptional kind of simmering sexual tension thing. And it's just the thing that like, you know, I'm pushing my glasses down my nose, leaning back in my chair, taking another sip of wine and being like, I'll continue. It's really delicious tension. It's yeah. really delicious The build tension. up in those scenes is exquisite. And I think that is an enemies to lovers thing, isn't it? That sort mm. of like the ways in which, and there's a, I don't know if we'd included it later, in which case we'll cut out this chat, but that line from Lara Lossa about like hate and passion and all of that. And and actually there's a there's a whole thing about passion being a Sith thing, right? In Star Wars. Yeah. That, well, Jedi's are abstinent. So, I mean, they um, they are famously like, you don't have connections. You don't have things that tie you down because having mm-hmm. um things that you care about is often a gateway to falling to the dark side because you or have things you care about. is it a gateway to healthy relationships? Yes. Yeah. I mean... I just think the Jedi might be the bad guys. I think if you forcibly separate children from their parents and raise them in a weird monk school on a rock and then don't let them have sex with people... Not just that, but, like, discourage emotions yeah. as a general thing because all emotion kind of leads yeah. to you know, a potential to fall it's a it's a quite genuinely challenging and difficult narrative and it's like no wonder everyone is so fucked up like generations just... of like, people <laughs> oh my gosh. who just cannot function just, sorry welcome to another episode of some people in our fandoms need some th- fucking therapy so much therapy oh my god luke um and the kind of move from that early pre-marriage, because as we say, it's an arranged marriage, but it's a, it's one that they both agree to because they've both got these concerns, they've both got these political concerns, so it's a political marriage. And the move from that initial snappy snark to <clears throat> amicable relationship, not criffing likely, who better to keep a Sith husband in line than a Jedi wife? <laughs> which is this early phase of their relationship where they are married and they're trying to navigate what that then is going to look like for them and it's very much like we've got that you betrayed no you betrayed kind of love and it's it's really it's really well handled because I think it's quite difficult I've I've read lots of enemies to lovers fix and I've read lots that are multi-chapter and lots that are one shots and one of the things you have to do is prolong that tension. And prolonging mm. that tension is difficult. And one of the things Deasterism just does so well in this fit is the tension's prolonged, but we have tiny moments of catharsis mm. that are relieving. So um the, the the first time that they get the first time that they kiss when they're not mad, when it's not a result of 
this kind of ri ridiculous quantity of passion and tension. Um, it, it's really like, oh, it's actually just like really relieving. And so it doesn't need you to thrive in this constant state of tension. It lets bits of that go. And I think that's super effective. No, I totally agree. It's so satisfying to watch how Ben and Ray's relationship unfolds and develops in this thick. And I think in particular, the way that all that snark crumbles in those moments of mm. vulnerability where they realise that actually they're on each other's side and the real enemies are the political forces swirling around them. Um, and there's this devastating scene quite early on in a courtyard during the negotiations that lead up to their engagement where Ray's just totally overwhelmed. I mean, in the last you know, two years, she's she's realised her parentage and that that parentage is batshit because it's a royal family with all these customs yeah, and expectations. But... She's now going to have to lead a huge... A whole, you know, 63 planet system of people, and then she has to marry Kylo in this political marriage. I mean, it's just yeah. hugely overwhelming. And she, at one point, kind of leaves a, a banquet in just because it's all too much, and she breaks down in tears. And Kylo follows her out and, and kind of goes to comfort her and she just pleads with him to leave her alone because she actually can't stand him being mean and cruel to her anymore mm. can't can't stand those barbs which yeah. are you know they, they land even if they're the snark is playful at times it, mm -hmm. it does hurt and in those moments and she sends him away and it's just such an emotional and quite tender moment where all that snark fades and you can feel their relationship develops a bit more. You know, the chinks in that armour start to collapse. And I think that's where it's at its most powerful for me. Oh, absolutely. And I think those those moments where the snark, which is its own kind of facade, and I think uh, Ben and Ray are super good characters for this because they're both characters that are holding quite a lot of hurt. Mm. And so that animosity between each other is driven by their own individual hurt. And that's not true for every enemies to lovers pairing. But this snark, which is its own kind of facade, is at war with the other facades that Ray and Ben are to an extent having to wear. That of Emperor, that of Empress and Emperor and Head of Hapes and her consort. That those are also difficult to wear to, to wear and to weather and those two kinds of facades are at war with each other and actually they're both just too weary and they just mm. they have to lay down pretense and they can't yet do it with each other because that trust isn't there yet and so they're forced into these increasingly insular moments like Ray sitting there saying just leave me alone and and Ren or Ben or Kylo at that stage being unable to breach the gap mm. at that point and so pushing each other into further moments of isolation, which itself prolongs the tension. And that is one of the ways that enemies to lovers fix, I think. One of the reasons that they work is that they quite often lead to small concessions that push people further apart. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the point you made earlier about they're two characters who've experienced a lot of hurt and a lot of isolation and loneliness. Mm -hmm. They're two people who have experienced you know, very different upbringings and, and issues in that upbringing but have this real shared consciousness and connection you know canonically in the films as well I mean The yeah. Last Jedi that's essentially everything that that, that Last Band. <laughs> this fic was written as was, as The Last Jedi came out I was going to say because it's written it, it, the, there's, there's an author's note at the beginning of one of the chapters that's about yeah. the new trailer and it's the trailer for The Last Jedi yeah and then the, there's the bit where the asterisms is 
gone and watched it and is like, yes, we're canon, we're yes! Johnson, you've, you've acknowledged <laughs> us, it feels so seen. But yeah, I mean, I, it, the, the idea of playing you know, that, you know, then was already there mm. in Force Awakens and then was solidified further with the Force Bond sequences, etc. in the second film. And, you know, that her is really important and it really does characterise all of their reactions and actions and in every snarky comment in every moment in their relationship I totally buy in and, and really believe the motivations that lead up to it the kind of protective defensiveness that also creates a lot of these situations and it is all about trust essentially yeah. right I mean when you start out as enemies you don't trust each other because you literally can't and for Ben and Ray in this fic in particular the most glorious moments come from those scenes where they cede something to the other person that they either you know, give them their trust they let their guard down they cut through that stuff yeah. and they have this moment of you know, gentleness or tenderness or compassion or even attraction which then just cuts through that and it's those moments of catharsis yes, which just absolutely. are unbelievable yeah no i think that's i think that's super well put I, I i think that is one of the it, it's that it's the evolution of the snark into a place where it seeds and as we said we're sort of focusing on the first half of this fic mostly because we don't want to spoil too much um but also i think because because it would need hours hours to talk properly yeah. about it uh, but focusing on the first half lets us i think think about that and that evolution of that snarky dynamic that i love into this dynamic that i also love which is about the kind of dangerous fallout of that it's just it's just super well done one thing we were saying to each other is that there were just so many models of I'm searching for the word, I'm going to call it femininity, but what I mean by that is womanhood, I guess. I guess I really, I really mean, yeah, I guess I mean femaleness. I mean, so there are just so many women in this fic, and it is delightful. And that's both about how character the author, sorry, uses ancillary characters that exist. So I love her Leia. Mm. I love her Rose. And both about how they use those kinds of ancillary characters, but it's also about the creation of original characters. So I have an incredible affection in this fic for her sort of duchess um, lady-in-waiting figure mm. whose name is and I'm gonna say La Loss. Yeah, I agree. I think it. I my brain takes that in quite a Germanic, so I'm like a La Losa kind of. That's yeah. where I'm imagining. Anyway, La Loss, and the and La Loss is this insanely beautiful, um, canonically non-white, also hapen woman, who is the heiress to a sort of great family. And she becomes Ray's confidant, but also advisor in this world of the court. And she puts her knowledge of political intrigue and male management, I guess, like yeah. kind of flirting, etc., at Ray's disposal. But, but, and I think this is quite crucial, not as a, like, this is the only way to do business, which is what her grandmother is a bit like, yeah. but as kind of a tool. And then there's 
Boethia, on the other hand, who is one of the Knights of Wren. Um, side note, love it when the Knights of Wren get, like, actual time. Character development names. Anything. I mean, they were just faces. Listen. Side characters. At some throughout. point, we will get drunk and bitch about troughs, right? Yeah. And it's going to be long and messy because I've got a lot of problems with that film. I have a long essay all actually written out about the problems I have Do with you? that film. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited. We we went on a walk once to go and buy bread, and the entire walk we just bitched about that film. The Knights of Wren in this fic are great. It's a great example of again multiple kinds of femininity multiple kinds of femininity that's potentially malignant as well it's not this one model of the like yeah i am the evil bitchy witch poisoner like i'm you know the evil queen from all the fairy tales like it's not this one it's it's just this really multiple female universe and i you know i just think i just think that's great no i agree i think it's it's women as weapons as well in terms of like a lot of mm-hmm. the ways that even softer versions of femininity you know as you mentioned the, the flirting the using your mm-hmm. womanness as a you know as a sexual tool yeah. like almost which is where you you you, you know imagine that a fit could stray into those kind of more classic into slightly mills and booney territory yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't and because actually yeah. like within this matriarchal culture and, and society you know, women and and therefore the tools there's there's ex, you know, disposal have this incredible power. Mm-hmm. Women have incredible political power. Women are rulers, not just the the royal line, but in all of the kind of royal houses. Mm. Again, it's the female duchess figure over the men. Yeah, and there's this kind of feeling of you know men still have power within the system, mm. but but women are listened to. And there's this actually great line, isn't there, where um. Very early on in the fic, where Poe and Finn are are <laughs> going to meet um, Tara Chime, who's the 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 kind of governor and the, the yeah. empress of um uh of they've the been just consortium. been greeted by La Halosa, haven't they? Yeah. And it's like they're 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 off to go and yeah yeah, and that they're, they're told not to really speak and to definitely not have any kind of impassioned speeches or <clears> you know <throat> like irritable yeah. outbursts because like yeah. men do not get respected and men who are emotional particularly don't get yeah. respected which there's is no room for poe in the no. ap's <laughs> cluster no. like poe's yeah yeah there's no there's no there's no room for yeah. poe so there's kind of all these forms of hard and soft femininity that are at mm-hmm. play which are all given yeah. this equal weighting and ray really has to learn all of those forms you know she has to learn how to use them to her advantage and you know having grown up on jacku she has an incredibly different set of priorities to you mm. know what she, she needs to have now she's a ruler so she has to learn to flirt she has to be able to use her statesmanship within this matriarchal system to navigate these political tensions she has to know how to work her relationship with Ren, how to be not deferential to him because she's the matriarchal power figure and how but... to do those things in public and in private and where the the leeway is between those two spaces as well yeah exactly so there's all these kind of things and and uh, that's how you show strength and power and as you mentioned you know one of the knights of Ren is um, is is a woman and is incredibly 
powerful and physically commanding whilst also being actually quite um observant mm. um again which is often a trait that you know, women have in fiction um you know that observant advisory kind of role but it's done yeah. in a way that is at never any point do these things feel contradictory because yeah. again i would argue that this is just an incredibly interesting very pro feminist almost text yeah you know? yeah i think no i think i would agree i mean you've you've highlighted like a uh an exchange here which is from Lea Lossa about what's going on I thought this exchange really exemplified what was what was going on. And so this is from Lea Lossa, um, and I think it absolutely nails this dynamic. She says, No, you don't, the Dutch of Blythe agreed. You hate him and he hates you. But hate is just a kind of passion, isn't it? And the thing about passion is that it can, with some cleverness, be diverted to another course. You don't have to set him afire with lust, at this rate pretended to gag. But Lea Lossa ignored her. But you can spin him around. So this idea of, again, you know, using your your feminine wiles not in a kind mm. of a way that's ever kind of condemned but it's it's acknowledging the power of your femininity it, it, it's a it's acknowledging the ways in which um there are manipulative tools that belong in a quite in quite a female space that ray might make use of use of but again as always with with this fic, I think it's a, it's presented as an option, and this is what I mean about these just multiple models. And I'm absolute putty for La Lossa here, but I'm absolute putty for Boethia too. Like, not in a long time read a woman like that. Mm. And, I, and I think she is, there's an amazing point later in the fic, and when we won't go into it now, but where she rounds on Ray, who is giving Kylo quite a hard time. At this point, they're quite far into their relationship. And they're on <clears throat> the Hesseriarch, so their Snoke is around. And she says something like, don't ask him to crawl when he's already on his knees. There aren't just multiple ways of being a woman. There are multiple ways of having relationships as a woman, having friendships as a woman with other women, with men, with mm everybody that there are all of these models of like the the way to behave within a friendship and relationship so Larelosa is very courteous she's very high hapen if you will her relationship with Alison Gray certainly at the beginning is quite childish and quite friendly but the majority of the time she's very dignified I think she's a very dignified character lots of other female characters in this fic aren't like that and those are all presented as options and in some ways I suppose it's it's a bit like it's you know Hapes itself is a metaphor for this like cluster of bounty that Ray, having come from nowhere suddenly is being exposed to of not just jewels and silks but ways to live her life our show our thanks to our writer this week the incredible as ever diasterisms yeah. for creating things <laughs> that have brought us such incredible joy 
Um, don't forget to check us out on Tumblr and follow us on Spotify where our episodes appear. Yes, you can use the messaging or the Ask Us Anything function on Tumblr to send us thoughts, recs and questions or send us a message via our Gmail, tropeashell at gmail.com. Um, we would love to hear about literally anything. I think especially Rex, if you given our enemies to lovers brain block, if you've got good enemies to lovers fix, send them to us. Um, but also if you'd like to fight us about fictional characters or our imagined relationships with them in our games of Trope Shag, Marry Kill. We're also now on AO3 and convinced to no longer being lurkers, so you can see who we're following and bookmarking if you find us there. We're Trope underscore as underscore pod, just to confuse you all. Um, I've been Jean. I've been Rebecca. And thank you so much for listening. 